Good morning, everyone. Glad to be with you again here. It's been a beautiful weekend and enjoying God's creation. I still marvel. I've lived in B.C. for a number of years now, and I just still marvel at the gorgeous nature that we get to enjoy. I have to say, um, every day when I come into work, it's about a 30-minute commute, and uh, I use that time wisely. Usually I try and drink my coffee on the way and uh, maybe have a piece of toast or something so I can, you know, um, multitask. Uh, And my one desire is that I can make it here without any coffee on my shirt or any crumbs uh, that are visible. Um, To be honest, today was a rough day. Uh, This is actually the fourth shirt I have had on this morning, and we're just going to hope it all works today. Um, My desire was not totally accomplished, but I am here in one piece, and I'm glad to be with you serving in this church as your pastor. Larry Walters, though, had a much worse day in 1982. Larry was a truck driver, and he had always dreamed of being a pilot, but because of poor eyesight, the uh, U.S. Air Force turned him down, and now he's a truck driver. And But he still had the desire in his heart to fly. And so at age 13, when he was in an army um, surplus store, he found helium balloons. And he had this idea. So in uh, 1982 of July, he attached 43 eight-foot balloons to a lawn chair. And uh, he tied the chair to the bumper of his Jeep, And he systematically began to fill up each of these eight-foot balloons, 43 of them, and uh, his friends were helping him. Uh, He he roped himself into his chair. He, it says he had a camera, a pellet gun, a CB radio, sandwiches, beer, and uh, when they released the tether line from the Jeep, it shot up 16,000 feet almost immediately. Well, his plan was to coast over the Mojave Desert, and shoot out a a balloon at a time, slowly descending down to safety. That's where it all went wrong. (laughs) I guess he should have checked the winds, because he was blown immediately over into the uh, primary approach corridor of Long Beach Airport, violating the controlled airspace. After 45 minutes in the sky, he began to shoot uh, some of the balloons to drop down because he realized he was in trouble. But then he dropped his pellet gun. And so as he began to descend through a controlled airspace, the tether line got caught in uh, a power line, which broke, causing a 20-minute electricity blackout for the area. He was immediately arrested when he landed, um, relatively unharmed, and fined uh, $4,000. He did get some nationwide uh, traction. Uh, He did uh, media uh, uh, interviews. He did late-night talk show interviews. But his his newfound fame was short-lived. And sadly, Larry died a tragic death at age 44. When he was interviewed at why he did this, here's the famous line that I won't forget. He says, a man can't just sit around. Well, when I thought about the message today, distracted by desires, somehow I thought about Larry. Larry came to mind because, partly because what he did was so audacious, partly because he finally fulfilled a desire to fly, and it didn't end well for Larry. 
You can look him up and find out all the details. But uh, if there's one thing that seems to derail good people, it's giving in to the desires that are unhealthy or immoral or selfish or ungodly. So when our focus in life becomes satisfying our desires, the desires of our flesh, rather than desiring, uh, satisfying the desires of our spirit, things can go quickly downhill. And we can have both you know, good desires and bad desires. There's nothing wrong with having desires, but there's, there's something wrong when we get off focus from the desires God wants us to have to what the world is enticing us with. So there's good desires and there's sinful desires. And when we give our lives to Christ, he begins changing our desires to be godly, to be uh, everlasting, to be eternal impact kind of desires. And, and he offers us true life and abundant life, but sometimes we take our focus off of him and put it on the desires of the, that this world has to offer. It, it can happen so quickly. I mean, everyone experiences the battle between the two desires. Every, every day when I drive home in my 20-year-old truck, um, I look across at the cool, brand-new sports cars that are going past me with their electric windows and electric door locks and heated seats and surround sound speaker systems in their car and computerized module things, and I go... Uh, the battle's on. It's like it's time to fight the desires. I can be jealous and unsatisfied. I can, uh, I can be uh, envious of them, or I can give in to gratitude, thankfulness that I actually have more than what 80% of the world uh, people have themselves. So Galatians 5.17, it says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. So what the world values is not what God values. The world is temporary and fleeting and, and actually deceitful. They, they, can't, they can't give what they promise. God is eternal. And he's providing innumerable blessings and true love, actual freedom and a future and a hope. King David in the Old Testament started so well. Nice harp player, great shot with a slingshot, uh, brave and true. Um, he was a super soldier, respected by his peers and his fellow soldiers. He was celebrated by all the people. In fact, he was a national hero. He, he kills Goliath. That's this David we're talking about. He was stalwart, sturdy, dependable, faithful, hardworking, well-trusted and well-respected. By all appearances, he had it all. But the Bible tells us he lost his focus. Everything was going his way, but he let down his guard. And he let his unhealthy desires distract him from just about everything he knew to be right. Perhaps he felt that he had sacrificed enough already. I mean, he, had, he, had, he didn't have an easy life. It was a hard road to success. He had waited patiently while King Saul was trying to assassinate him. He endured living in caves and little villages while all the time he should have been living the life in a palace. And he withheld his anger and his revenge against King Saul out of respect for God's anointed. No matter how crazy Saul was, he, he risked his life over and over in battle, fighting against the enemies of God's people. 
And now that his king, he was king and his enemies were being subdued, life was easy. He could trust the, the battles to, the, to his soldiers and his, his well-trusted men. He decided to let others do the heavy lifting, take a breath, enjoy life. He would stay home this time instead of going into battle. He decided to take it easy. He'd worked hard all of his life. Now it's just time to take a break. And that was, I guess, the mistake he made. Should have gone with the men. Should have done what a king was supposed to do to lead the troops. He began to behave like he believed he deserved a little more. He already had everything. He was the king, but he wanted, he wanted a little more. He rationalized that his needs were more important than other people's needs. And then the unthinkable happened. 2 Samuel chapter 11 says he started to contemplate treachery. A battle raged in his heart between righteousness and evil desires, between his spirit and the flesh. And he chose poorly. He committed adultery with another man's wife. And then, and then he had the other man's or the, the, the wife's husband murdered, and then he tries to cover it all up. I, I don't know how you rationalize all of this unless you feel like you're really pretty special and you, and you don't believe God's going to do anything about it. And maybe you can do whatever you want because the rules don't really apply to you. But God was watching. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I'm not sure if John was talking about David here, about you and me. Because all three of these came to play in David's time. The desires of the flesh, the desires of his eyes, and the pride of life. So Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's not that we can't have our desires fulfilled. It's that they need to be fulfilled in the proper context and with God's blessing. He doesn't want us to be controlled by our desires, which leads to death. He wants us to be controlled by the spirit he puts inside of us, which leads to life. So I've lost track, honestly, of how many well-known and famous Christians have gone down this road in the past couple of years. They felt that indulging their desires from time to time was no big deal. They did things themselves that they counseled other people not to do. And whether it's giving in to sexual desires outside of their marriage or buying expensive fashion designer clothing or multi-million dollar homes or high-end sports cars, they want to have it all. Somehow they want to be seen as humble servants of God while living the high life and flaunting their acquisitions before others. They want to live in the two worlds of with one foot in, the, in one and one foot in the other, rationalizing and justifying and explaining and somehow taking shortcuts to fulfill their desires. But God is watching. Consequences are on the way. There is always a price to pay, and the wages of sin is always death. The thing was, David had actually forgotten his own psalms. He, he's, we, got a, we got hundreds of psalms that he wrote, and they say stuff like this, how, how he delights in the law of the Lord, how he follows the Lord's precepts and pants for the Lord like a deer. He forgot that the Lord was his rock and shield and strength and 
forgot that there's always consequences for going down the broad road that leads to destruction. David said this in Psalm 40, verse 8, I will delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is within my heart. In Psalm 73, 25, Who am I in heaven? And besides you, I desire no one else here on earth. Uh-huh, yeah, right. Didn't pan out that way in the end. Hypocrisy slowly began to set in, like a preacher telling his people they need to spend more time in prayer and Bible study while he spends so little time himself, or the life group leader that talks about the benefits of tithing and giving to the Lord when he knows himself he's not hitting the mark. So how does a man, after God's own heart, fall so far when he had everything? Well, he literally took his eyes off of God and put them onto something that caused him to stumble. Someone, Bathsheba. So we are vulnerable to temptation and crossing the line when our marriage is in trouble or when our finances are in trouble or when our relationships are in trouble. Or when we don't forgive others, bitterness and anger can take root and grow in our own hearts. Sometimes we just think we deserve more than God has provided. You know, rather than falling on our knees when we're in those situations, we take matters into our own hands. Rather than come to God, we think, I'll just dig my way out of this, and I, I, I need to indulge a little bit myself. What I realized over the years is that God's laws and his commands and his statutes, they're not punitive or prohibitive. They actually give life. They actually give freedom, and they prevent us from falling into self-destruction and selfish excess. So had David actually followed God's commands, like worshiping him only instead of worshiping an image of creation, or like not bearing false witness, which led others to commit sin, or like not committing adultery, because it destroys lives and marriages and families. Like not coveting another man's wife. Because you sin against that man and the whole family. Like not killing the innocent and becoming guilty of murder. Like not stealing what belongs to another person when you already have more than you need. I, I figure uh, if, if David had if, if followed all of these commands... Uh, he would have been okay, but he didn't. He broke all of these commands. And then I, I think if he did this on a Sunday while disrespecting his mom and dad, he could have broken all ten commandments at the same time. Remember what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. So, so what was the result of David's series of sins? Well, he lost his fear of God. He lost a child. He lost the respect of his own sons who learned to despise him and began to plot against him. He lost the respect of his soldiers, of his mighty man of valor who, who backed him up when he was still hiding from Saul. In fact, he took the wife of one of his mighty men of valor who had pledged his life to save David. He also lost the dream of building a magnificent temple to God. And he was exposed by the prophet Nathan, who God sent to say, David, no more. This is going to have to stop. You're going to lose it all if you don't repent. He was exposed as a weak and selfish fraud who thought God wouldn't do anything because he was so special. So when God's prophet Nathan came to David, 2 Samuel chapter 12, to his credit, David was crushed. He realized how far he had fallen how he had taken so much that God had given him and just thrown it all away. 
Because of one desire he gave in to. He was broken. His sin was exposed. The damage had already been done. And he needed to repent and draw deep from the well of forgiveness of God. He needed to reconcile in order to continue leading his king. Here's what he says. And we have the result of this confrontation between God's prophet Nathan and David. And this time, we get to hear the heart of David and how he came to the realization that a, a relationship with God was so much more important than anything else. He says in Psalm 51, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Can you realize? Putting that down, he's, he's outlining, it's like in the court of law, what are the charges against you? Well, this, I went into the, to, to Bathsheba, I did wrong, Nathan confronted me, and here's what I got to say. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me and completely, uh, wash me completely from my iniquity and cleanse, from, cleanse me from my sin. And I confess my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And against you, you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your, face, hide, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Deliver me from the guilt of shedding blood. And the sacrifices of God, he says, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So I think David really did understand um, the point uh, of, of sinning against God because, you know, the truth is he sinned against a lot of people. He sinned against every single person in his country, not just Bathsheba, not just her husband, not just his own wife and family, not just the mighty men that he had put his whole trust into, but the whole nation had been sinned against by their leader, their king. And, and he just says, I, I confess, I admit, I did that. God, forgive me. I want to be right with you. I think what he was saying is that there's nothing more important to him than his relationship with God. So when our eyes are finally opened to just how far we have strayed against God, we have a choice to make. We can, we can actually stop, get on our knees, confess, repent, and be restored in our relationship with God and, and find his forgiveness. Or we can say, you know what? I'm just going to keep walking. I'm going to walk right down that road that leads to destruction. And don't forget, the wages of sin is death. Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, talks about a sower who is a farmer sowing seeds. And he says one of the, the, the seeds that some of the seeds he threw went into... Um, the area that had lots of thorns, and it says the people that hear those, uh, the people that, uh, are, are, the seed is like the word of God, and the thorns are like uh, the areas where people are, and the soil is, is, is tough to grow. He says, um, it's like those that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. Sometimes when you walk down that road, fulfilling those desires, it's really hard to turn back. It's hard to Stop, to repent, to be reconciled. 
and to get the forgiveness of God. You know, even pastors and a lot of these people that have turned uh, chasing after desires, we're, we're pastors. You know, sometimes we get weary of being the shepherd all the time and being the example to everyone else. And sometimes we just kind of want to act like the sheep and uh, do the silly things that sheep can do. The problem is sometimes it means we will lose the right to be a shepherd after that. We can think that maybe we want to take a little break from serving God, uh, from attending church, from being a representative of Christ to our community. And we can rationalize the, the money we give to the church. Maybe we should just hold some back, buy a new boat, buy a new car, buy a new computer. Maybe I need some of that back. Why do I give so much? And we start to rationalize and justify um, giving in to the desires that are destructive. But God is watching Our negative desires blur our view of God and His call in our life. And you see, we can also become identified with our desires. Maybe you have a desire to fly, and you are identified as a pilot. That's what pilots do. They fly. Or maybe you just love medicine. You become a doctor. That's your identity, fulfilling that desire, lifelong desire of medicine. Or baking bread. Maybe you're going to open up a bakery or uh, a, a, a shop to sell all the, 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 the things. I, I, I have to be careful about eating. So our desire can actually become our identity. And what God is saying is sometimes these negative desires can do the same thing. I mean, there's great things about pilots and doctors and, and bakers and all of that. But sometimes the negative desires can, can take over too. And that's what the warning is. You, you have a desire to fill, fulfill that need for drugs and you become a drug addict or a need for alcohol. You become addicted to alcohol or to sex and you become uh, just chasing after one uh, experience after another after another and your, your identity becomes your desire. But we are so much more than our desires. We are created to be uh, fulfilled in God, a born again, a new creation. We are created for eternity, and what the world has to offer will keep us from fulfilling our destiny here on earth that God actually has for us. John Piper wrote a book called Desiring God. Henry Blackaby wrote a book called Experiencing God. J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. So when your identity and your desire is all for knowing God and experiencing God and desiring Him, then that becomes who we are, God followers, God honorers, a godly person, one in whom God is pleased. Just so you know, there is nothing that this world has to offer that will ever ultimately satisfy our desires. Anything the world offers is fleeting, is temporary, won't last so God is preparing us for heaven even today. He's saying invest in the kingdom. Invest in, in my, my work and in what you have will last forever. You can take this to eternity. You can be pleasing in my sight. You come up and I'm going to say, well done. You did a great job. I'm proud of you. Thank you for investing in the kingdom. Look at, look what, look at what's happened because of your investment. There's a man who uh, felt really distressed because of his guilt. He had sinned. A particular sin that I won't talk about, and he prayed and prayed about it, but still he felt this weight of guilt. It just consumed him. He thought about it. He couldn't get over it. He couldn't forgive himself. He wanted to experience God's forgiveness, but since he had confessed his sin and begged God to forgive him, now he needed to ask God to forgive him for not believing that God would forgive him. It's kind of an arrogant thing for us to think, okay, I confessed. I just don't feel forgiven. Well, 
You may not feel forgiven, but you are forgiven. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sin in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous, and He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we don't believe God has in fact forgiven us when we have confessed our sin, we call into question His faithfulness and His Word. We're saying that God's promises can't be trusted or we arrogantly think that we need to do something more. Maybe you do need to be reconciled. Maybe you do need to do repentance. and Maybe you do need to make restitution to help out, but you are forgiven. If you've confessed and repented, God forgives. Whether you feel forgiven is not the important thing, but whether you have repented is the important thing. God said when he forgives, he forgets. It doesn't mean that he doesn't remember what we did. It means that he doesn't hold it against us anymore. Listen to this. Our sins, just as with David and everyone else, will forever be a part of our history, but no longer a part of our identity. What happened in the past is now the past, and we are made new with God's forgiveness. Micah chapter 7, 18 and 19 says, Who is like you, God, who pardons sin and forgives transgression on the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us, and you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Acts in the New Testament, chapter 3, 19, says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you need times of refreshing? Are you tired of carrying around a load of guilt? Are you tired of holding on to anger or offenses or things others have done to you? You just can't get over it. You can't let go. You can't forgive. But do you want the times of refreshing? Do you want to be free from all that? Do you want to stand before God clean, knowing he has forgiven and thrown away all of your sins, remembers them no more? To some of you, today this sermon is a reminder because you're okay. You're, you're good with God. You, you've kept to the, 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 the narrow way. You've, you've been faithful. You've been you know, doing your best, and, and God is, is blessing. To some, this sermon is a warning because you may be on the brink of treachery. You might be on the brink of giving in. Maybe you've been tired of walking, walking the, the long road like David. He did everything right, and then he had a weak, weak moment. He gave in. Maybe you're right there at that spot. You're just about to give in. Now, let me just warn you, it won't work. God is watching. There are consequences. The wages of sin is death. This is a warning to you to turn back, to turn to God, to fall on your knees and say, God, help me out. I don't want to be that person. I don't want my identity to be, to be tied to my, my desire and my sin. To others, it's too late. You followed down that road. You are Sinning against God and your family, yourself. This is a chance to have a way out and a way back to God. It's time to admit it, to confess it, to repent, to be reconciled. And let God do a beautiful thing that he can do. Forgiveness is a healer of deep, deep wounds. May the Spirit have his way in all of our hearts today. You know, with this presentation as I was preparing the sermon, I realized that God has desires too. 
It's okay to have desires. His desire, it says in 1 Timothy 2, is that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth sets people free. And I hope that that's what happened today in the message. So our fleshly desires always seem to get us in trouble. But when we focus on God's desires first, he gives us the desires of our heart because our hearts are in the right place. Maybe that, maybe that be true of all of us today. Let's close this time in prayer. Thanks, God, for a reminder, maybe a warning, maybe a way out today. Your servant David, a man after your own heart, it says, stumbled and fell, but saw you, turned his eyes back on you and off of the desires, put his eyes and his focus solidly back on you, and you redeemed him. You gave him more chances to survive, to, to live, to thrive as king over your people, and to prepare for an amazing temple that would be built through his son, Solomon. God, these stories are not just stories. They're not myths and fables. They are real live people who lived and breathed, who were faithful, who failed, who got back up, who repented, confessed, and still is known as a man after your own heart. May we be known as men and women after your own heart. May our desire be you, to know you, to experience you daily in our life. It's my prayer in Christ's name. Amen.